You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the team for Fan Rag Sports, and I'm joined by my panel from the mean streets of Cotswold. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for AtTheHive.com. The man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. Never wanted to complain about the snow day. I, I just say I love my family so much. <laughs> it was totally that totally came from a good place, and we're just going to leave it yep. at that. All right. That's also, it. you you heard him laughing there. Uh, he's been on the show now four or five times. I think this is five times for for Nada, uh, Nada the scribe. What's going on, Nada? Oh man! Why we got to start counting how many times I've been on the show now? Because we, <laughs> because we're able because we're able to do that. That's what. That's the point. We can. No, 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 no. That's a, look. I just came in here to talk about Dwight's bad choice in food occasionally, and Tim Frazier being all up in the Kool Aid with no with no sense of the flavor. That's what. We, that's what I came here to talk about. That's that's your show preview right there. Yeah, we've got that's a lot it. to. I mean, this this game against Washington <laughs> had so many storylines. And, and and on a night where it looked like, I mean, it look, look, the Hornets played well, and we were obviously going to talk about that. But then uh, the the game just got crazier and crazier as the night went on, as the lead extended, as people started to contemplate having to leave Spectrum Center and go back out into the cold and drive on the icy streets of Charlotte. Things just started to get a little nutty. So we're going to cover it all uh, here on the show. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to us on Patreon. It's a great way to support the show. And make sure you're following us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets and on Instagram at Locked On Hornets, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Locked On Hornets. All right, let's start in the Spectrum Center. Not many in the cable box uh, due to the winter weather, but those that did make it out to see this game live did make the snowjourn, got a treat. Hornets win 133-109 after a 39-25 second quarter. The game was never really in doubt. Hornets score 77 points in the first half. They started the game 10 of 10 from the field. They haven't done that, I think, since 2002. Uh, But the 77 points in the first half, that was a franchise record. All five starters were in double figures. Dwight Howard had 18 points and 15 rebounds. MKG added 21 points on 8 of 11 shooting. The Hornets were 15 of 31 from the three-point line. We'll start with David. What was the most impressive part of this win for you? Oh, it had to be that shooting. I mean, 15 of 31 from the three-point line, that 31 attempts, I think that's what we were going to have to start seeing uh, down the stretch here. That's what you've been screaming for, Doug, for them to shoot the ball more. But the fact of the matter is they're shooting it better as well. Um, and they just got off to a hot start. You don't often see that. It's, it's, it's usually the other way around when the other team gets off to a hot start and the Hornets have to climb back in it. But they were also able to hold the Wizards off. You know, I mean, that's something we haven't seen a lot of either. That may have, you know, some to do with the Wizards being who they are. I mean, those guys, uh, they didn't give up much. They didn't put up much fight in the second half of that game. And uh, the Hornets were able to hold them off. So, I mean, all good all around. And Clifford returned, you know. I mean, it was a kind of a crazy night in there, one of those snow game nights. It's kind of weird. 
Yeah, despite the, the despite the large margin of victory here, the Wizards shot well from beyond the arc as well. 13 of 23, 56.5% from three. That uh, really was all Bradley Beal, his four of six from three, and 26 points led the Wizards. But uh, Nada, what was most impressive to you about this Hornets victory, the second straight over an Eastern Conference playoff team? I would probably say it was the points in the paint. A large collection of points in the paint, finishing at the rim, which they haven't been good at at all, which is one of those things that I was surprised by. You had MKG constantly slashing to the goal. Dwight finishing around the rim. Kemba finishing around the rim. Marvin getting getting to the rim. We're getting within about 10 feet of the rim and getting to the painted area and scoring. This team went basically inside out, which we all know is how Clifford loves to play the game. And they just came in, blitzed them early, 77 points in the first half. I'm sorry, no, 78 points in the first half. Team record. No, you had it right, 77. I think it was just 77. Oh, I, oh, I'm sorry. But 77 in the first half. And I think that was the big thing about this this game was the fact that they just went inside out and everything started falling in the, in the early part of the first half. And it just kept going. And I... I, honestly, we don't talk enough about how much better MKG's gotten on the offensive end, and especially yeah. in the last little bit, finishing at the rim. And I think for everybody that thinks that he's just a defensive-only player and he creates four-on-five matchups at times, he's gotten so much better on the offensive end, and we do not talk enough about it. Yeah, and one of the Buzz of Maniacs on Twitter, Rich, a longtime listener of the show, wanted us to talk more about MKG and his effectiveness offensively and defensively this season. I mean, he is just, he's returned to the defensive form we saw pre-injury, where he can lock down a guy, the best player, the best wing player for an opposing team every night. He's he's returned to that form, plus he's added offensive confidence, right? He lost that ability to shoot the three-point shot that we saw ever so briefly a few seasons ago. But he's gained an offensive confidence where he knows the spots on the floor that he wants to get to. He gets to them easier. And again, he's shooting more confidently. He's getting fouled more. And it's led to a career-high, ineffective field goal percentage. And Nada, I want to go back to uh, your first point, the points in the pay. Yes, the Hornets have struggled around the rim. In terms of frequency, uh, going to the rim. They are 11th in the league, according to cleaningtheglass.com, but they are 25th in terms of field goal percentage at the rim. So it's been an issue for them, both in, in missed layups by driving wings, but also uh, we've seen Dwight Howard at times get a little too far out or try to set some things up for himself as opposed to letting others help him create. And, and he's been less than effective around the rim at times, but not in this game. Again, 18 points, for Dwight, very efficient night. He's put a string of efficient scoring nights together. Is this the Dwight Howard the Hornets envisioned when they made the trade, David? Yeah, certainly a big component of it. I thought he was trying to look for some assist as well last night. Those are not always going to convert, and he had some last night that went awry as well. But the quicker we talked about it yesterday, though, the quicker he can get that ball out, you know, when he sees the opportunity and when those guys are cutting, right? That's the second part of it. Those guys have got to make themselves available, which they were doing last night. When the offense is flowing like that, it's much more uh, palatable to have Dwight in there, you know, uh, and they can figure out a way to use him even when he's uh, not getting those offensive opportunities right at the basket. One thing I like too was the the Howard Batum 
combo with the bench lineup. And that's not something I've said very often this season. I liked anything to do with Howard and Batum together because it hasn't seemed like they formed much of a relationship. You know, at times it didn't look like they really liked playing with one another. Uh, But lately they have gotten into a groove and found some opportunities for each other. And when they when they played Howard and Batum with the bench lineup last night, it was very effective. And Howard Batum and Kaminsky together has worked well this season, especially offensively. Those three when those three are on the floor, the team has a 118 offensive rating. They're 112 on defense, uh, but they've been able to overpower teams on offense with that lineup. Um, but that combo, that three person combo, is with Kimba Walker. So I like adding Michael Carter-Williams' defense to that mix, especially early on in that game against Washington. We saw a lot of second-unit success in the game against Detroit, but so much of that was staggering starters and giving them looks on the offensive end and then running things through Lamb and Kaminsky when the full bench unit comes on. So you can see the team is starting to find small tweaks. Batum Howard with the bench, Marvin Williams with the bench a little bit, to try to, again, keep some consistency both offensively and defensively, get some two-way play, uh, and, and, and not go to that full bench as often or maybe just a little bit later to sustain leads, to build leads, and uh, it worked against Washington last night. What else do we see in this game? Well, one thing I wanted to say, guys, was you mentioned Michael K. Gilchrist getting going early, and I thought he was huge in the transition game. He's become, become such an effective weapon and now converting. When he gets the ball, he can go. And you saw him last night outrace two or three Wizards who were ahead of him after a steal. And the Hornets lost the fast break battle last night, 16-10. to 10. I mean, that's just going to happen when you got John Wall on the other side. But I thought he set the tone early, getting some of those easy baskets. The Hornets don't get a lot of easy baskets. And MKG has become the guy and a real asset in the open floor because when he's going now, it's really tough to stop him. And especially if it's a guy like Gortat or someone who's not able to move his feet that well on the other end. I mean, it's almost a guarantee, too, these days. They did lose the fast break yeah. battle overall, but I thought the second unit in this game did a great job of pushing the ball. And we know that the Wizards bench struggles. They don't have a lot of weapons past that starting unit. And I thought Michael Carter-Williams, Travion Graham, uh, Kaminsky, and Lamb all did a great job of getting up the floor quickly and and making something happen before that Wizards defense got a chance to get set. And I thought it helped them build, a, it build that second quarter lead. And they really never looked back uh, from that. Uh, nada. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's what they're going to have to do is that second unit is going to have to push that ball because we know they struggle so much in the, in the half court and Frank struggles. And if you, if you can get an easy two in transition, it helps or easy three in transition, it helps. Travion is another guy that loves to trail and grab that, that three. And I like the second unit. The second unit isn't as bad as it used to be. Right. It's still, tr- it's still, it's still troublesome in yeah. some areas, but the fact that this team can now hold water with its bench unit, if they stagger it right. And as long as Michael Carter Williams doesn't try that three, that one three pointer that occasionally he'll hit, that that Collins called feathery in Detroit, which I still can't get over. But <laughs> it's one of those things that, quite frankly, like it, as long as the bench can hold water, this team is going to be fine. I do think though that Silas and I have been kind of one of the, I've been one of those people that hasn't been like his biggest fan. 
I think he found the recipe with the bench that Clifford's now going to take going forward into the rest of the season. Yeah, Kaminsky and Lamb, right? And think about when Cody Zeller gets back. That's all he does is run when they, when they, you know, on the fast break, get him exactly. Out. It's going to get faster. Yep, it's only going to get faster. And you mentioned Howard's effectiveness in this game and his assist percentage. Um, this is the second game against Washington, and in both of these games, he's had a really high assist percentage. And this one, it was nine point one percent of his possessions uh, ended up being an assist for him. And the last one, it was thirteen percent. Uh, both of those good numbers. And in both of those games, he had high usage and high points per shot attempt. So he's just he's getting the ball a lot, and I think he likes that Gortat matchup. Gortat really didn't have anything for Dwight Howard. And Gortat was just generally awful in this game, 0 for 3 overall, uh, just could not get anything going. Uh, and, and a lot of it was up to John Wall, Brad Beal, Otto Porter, uh, who – was ineffective for me in fantasy in our draft.com challenge. Uh, did help oh, help me lose. I think I lost overall. I'll double check that. So I may. Yeah. I, I ordered the wizard hat. I ordered the mounty hat. <laughs> so those challenges are coming. Ooh. They're they're going to be completed uh, coming up. Uh, maybe maybe tomorrow. But we'll, if if the if the hats arrive by tomorrow, then then we can get both of those <laughs> out of the way. Hey, this game had a chaotic ending. I think that's the best word for it. First, you had yes. chance. Yeah, I want to yeah. I want I I, I got to get Nada's opinion on this. You had chance from the crowd <laughs> of and you could hear these chants because there weren't many people in Spectrum Center because of the weather. But you had chants from the crowd that were heard over the broadcast and heard by the entire arena of we want Monk and free no. Malik. These came at the end of the game, yes. uh, and, and when the game was already decided, and and they were they still uh, were not playing Malik Monk despite having most of the bench out there. Nada, what do you think about the fans demanding Monk play? Look, I was I was with them. I'm like, yo, this game is over. You have literally the third stringers yeah. on the for the for the Wizards on. Why not play Malik earlier? Let him get his shots out. Let him get some kind of confidence. Because if not, what, what's he doing with the main roster? Put him in Greensboro. That's been my big thing. He's just got to see time. He's got to learn from his mistakes. Yeah, I just I don't think confidence is ever going to be his issue. Hopefully, I mean this is a blow to it for sure. I'm almost looking at this like a red shirt year um, at this point for him. I was curious though, Clifford's first night back, if he was just going to give <laughs> give him a DNP on a, like a thirty point blowout. I thought that would have been cold as hell. Uh, but let me ask you guys. I was asked last night during I guess when this chance went up. It's like what's up with Monk? And we've certainly talked about him enough on this uh, show. But I mean, I use the word unplayable on D. Is that being too harsh? Uh, yeah, I mean, unplayable, no. unplayable on defense, and then uh, a little, I think, a little selfish on offense. Uh, he doesn't always make the, the right decision, and yeah. and I think both of those things are hurting him. And you can you can tie some of that back again to the fact that he did not have a summer. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. he was he was injured, didn't get summer league, uh, didn't get much of a training camp, and you know that that's going to hurt any rookie. And the leap to Team D in the NBA is a, is a quantum leap, especially from you know one year at Kentucky, one year at college, and not having to play that level and being the guy, being being really the off the ball guy. So I mean, the situation is what it is, but I think the defense is certainly a big reason he's not seeing more time. And being point. forced to play point guard, I know right, that right, right. There, there's some talk about yeah. you know Clifford saying, well, you know, for his long term success because of his size, he may need to play the point guard position. But at that the same time, big. you can play him off ball. 
It's not impossible. Right. Exactly. You, you just have to find the right situations, and Malik Monk has to be able to to stay with his man to a certain extent, uh, and and that just that's just not developed. And, and look, he's a, the bottom line. Bottom line, too, is if if he were making his shots consistently early on in the season, he might still have a rotation role. Like the, he's a shooter yeah, that that to this yeah. point has not been able to shoot. I, I agree, and the thing is with with Monk and. I, again, I like the kid. I just think that, like, you, he's one of those guys that you have to go, you have to ride, give him 20 minutes no matter what, somewhere, let him sink or swim, let him figure this all out. Because I think the way the, this, the only way this kid's going to learn is by right, playing. Right, but, the, but, and if but not, not consistently a, but, playing. Right. And that's not going to happen. And I get why they, well, but they've yeah. done, but they've exactly. done that and, and he sank. I think that's the point. It's not as if he hasn't yeah. had an opportunity at all this season. He just hasn't had the opportunity that fans of Malik Monk have wanted him to have. But well, we, it was so it, early, Doug. Yeah. And you mentioned the main thing was they were asking him to play point, right? Like, right. Yeah, but he that. still wasn't, but, but okay, that's fine. That's fair. But at the same time, he had he's had oper- In fact, uh, there were uh, just a few games ago when uh, who went small. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, da- uh, I think Dallas what? went small. Dallas went small. It's Dallas, yeah. And Malik Monk had an opportunity to play, and yes, he knocked down a couple of shots, but he also missed a couple of wide open shots as well. And so again, yeah, maybe maybe that's an unfair I'm, bar, but that's a short leash. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's the NBA uh, when you're fighting for a rotation spot. Uh, you have to, and and look, everyone wants him to play because they think he's a special player, and to this point, he's had very limited special performances. And, I but still think at, he can't be. I'm right. so a fan. No, yeah, that, we all I, are. yeah, exactly. I think everyone in the organization, at least publicly, and everyone on this show believes that he has the opportunity to be a a good to very good player, and and it's just going to take time because of circumstance. And that's yep. really, uh, and, yeah. and again, all of this is is um, all of this rises to a certain extent because Donovan Mitchell is playing so uh, well. And uh, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, I, mean, I have yeah, to say it. Yeah. I have to say it. I know. Yeah. I love. We love. We love Donovan. I mean, he's he, he's basically my my Twitter homepage these days. Every night, at least. Uh, okay, we got to get to this. We got to get to this next thing. Uh, we almost had a brawl in Spectrum Center between <laughs> between Timothy is the only way to describe it was an almost brawl uh between Tim Frazier, Michael Carter Williams and Jeremy Lamb. It started when Jason Smith fouled MCW. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong cuz you watched the broadcast. I actually it was funny because I missed the initial foul because I was listening to the monk chats and I was watching Dwight Howard basically orchestrate the monk chants. <laughs> and again, Dwight Howard, he'll co- his name was going to come back up in a second. But um, it started when Jason Smith fouled MCW. MCW did not like the foul. I think that's fair to say. He wasn't a big fan of, of no. the foul that occurred. and uh, He was justified in that, by the way. Yeah. He well, justified in that. He, at some point, Michael Carter-Williams uh, cocked back his fist and then uh, Tim Frazier came in to this to the scrum that ensued, and, and let me just say this, and and people people are either going to know what I'm talking about or not know what I'm talking about. But Tim Frazier had that look in his eye. Tim Frazier had that crazy uh-huh. look in his eye, like if if my if my fist lands on someone, they're going to the hospital. Like he like we talk about some uh-huh. of these guys sort of fake tough. Tim Frazier didn't look fake tough. He looked like he was he was crazy. 
All right. So then the refs and the coaches and the other players got in between everyone and prevented any Aaron Aflalo, James Johnson type of situation from occurring. Uh, Frazier and MCW get tossed. Nada, what was going through your mind as the scene was unfolding? First things first, like I don't blame MCW for anything that went on last night because first things first, Jason Smith came in there trying to hurt somebody because he's getting mad because he's getting blown out. Just play, play the game. And then Tim Frazier is like the dude from um, Mean Girls. Like, dude, you don't even go here. Why are you trying to fight? <laughs> like, that was half the That's a sick burn. <laughs> like, that's the problem. Like, 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 why are you trying to fight? Like, M- Michael Carter-Williams over there just trying to be like, yo, don't drop your knee on my shoulder. Like, that was the whole big problem. Like, I have more problems with the Wizards on this one than I do with Michael Carter-Williams. Because Michael Carter-Williams had every right to fight, and Tim Frazier was just looking for a fight because it was 20 below out there. Yeah, th- that game needed to end, like, sooner rather than later at that point. I, I was afraid something else was going to go down if it kept going because it was getting chippy on-, on both sides with the reserves in there, too. And MKG took a hard foul a little bit earlier on. Uh, so I think it's just fortunate that no one did throw a punch or get a get a punch in the face or or got hurt, but it was getting nasty in there. Um, and yeah, the Wizards were they were not feeling the end of that game. David, are you saying that the no, NBA needs a little league skunk skunk rule to prevent these types of of fights from happening? They need, I mean, I don't know what a, else. They need a There's replay nothing. official in in Secaucus saying, "Okay, enough's enough." Uh, this enough. this is about to turn into to a street fight. Let's just send everyone on their one, merry way. Uh, yeah, if they ever needed one, they could have said, you know, the snow's getting bad, the streets are going to ice over. <laughs> we got to call this thing. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's let's then the next thing that happens, guys. The refs had the audacity to call a personal foul on Jason Smith for the initial contact with MCW after all that. After tossing two players, they're like, oh, also personal foul on Jason Smith. It was the right call, but it's just, you know, this all happens after two players get tossed and sent back to the locker room. But Michael Carter-Williams was in the locker room, so someone has to take the free throws for him. And according to the NBA rulebook, section 516-A, clause 42, I made all of that up, in these situations, the opposing team gets to select the player that takes the free throws. So Scotty Brooks, the Wizards coach, goes through some complex advanced statistical calculations beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop, and selects, well, who'd have thought? Dwight Howard. Even Howard had a look on his face like, come on, man. But in reality, did anyone expect him to select anyone different? Isn't he obligated to select the worst free throw no. shooter? He can select no. someone floor right it's got to be an active player i don't think he has to go to the bench dwight was already shut down for the night that's what led to maybe the greatest moment of the season uh we've seen yeah. today maybe dwight's most likable moment ever as, as tom ziller said this morning in his newsletter <laughs> honestly i mean this this is the renaissance well, what happened the, what happened david explain it to us so dwight gets called off the bench I thought at, at first i thought clifford had selected him to go out there <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs> this is a you. But Dwight goes out there, and of course, he pures these two free throws. Then at the end of the second one, blows a nice little kiss to the crowd, to, to the bench, to Scott Brooks, I would assume. Uh, and, then, and then, as if that wasn't good enough, does the Sam Cassell. The Sam Cassell. The big, the, the big balls dance. 
The big balls dance. He went for the complete game in this one, and it was it was something to behold. And you know what? I think he gained uh, you know a lot more fans that night. Certainly on Twitter, everyone was in his corner because that was one of those things that was, and if, especially if you were watching that game and had no you know uh, no 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 dog in the fight. That was that was a great moment. So Scott Brooks, Scott Brooks made a made a serious tactical error, and, and it's tough to blame Scott Brooks because again, if you're Brooks and you know somebody's stepping up to take the free throws, you you naturally would want to select the, the worst free throw shooter on the team, which is unquestionably in a normal situation. In a normal situation, which unquestionably is Dwight Howard, and obviously this wasn't normal. These free throws were essentially meaningless. He didn't. He didn't have to select Dwight Howard. It, it, you could definitely say it was a little bit unsportsmanlike to do that. But that was it was weird, right? It was weird. But he made a tactical error be, because, and he should take this with him if the game, if the if the Hornets and Wizards ever play a game like this, and this situation occurs again, and the game is close. Because the thing about Dwight Howard is, all of his free throw, uh, all of his three free throw problems center around confidence because we know that Dwight Howard hits these free throws constantly in practice when when there's no when there's no pressure when there's no, when there are no demands when when there's no game situation he's a a free throw expert but but then every something changes in the game but when the crowd goes wild for Dwight Howard when when everything has been working in this game for him his confidence is at an all-time high and so, of course, he goes and knocks down both of the free throws. And then he gets his, as as Nada often describes, his WWE heel moment. Oh, man. <laughs> he gets to play yeah. to the crowd. Has anyone in a Charlotte Hornets uniform ever played to a crowd like Dwight Howard? Maybe Captain Jack. Maybe. Maybe. Much angrier. That's like, that's, yeah, exactly. Mm. Much angrier, but maybe Captain Jack, but that's it. Like, literally. He, he's, he's, like, literally the most entertaining guy that I've seen in a long time in a Charlotte Hornet uniform. Yeah. it's, And I think that has something to do with getting used to it, right? I mean, look at the personalities on this team. It's something we've remarked on going back five or six seasons. Like, there hasn't been a big personality like this. Most of these guys are quiet and do their talking on the floor. They're racking up technicals now because everybody's – I mean, MKG got a technical last night. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they're all learning it these days. But it's that was funny, mm-hmm. man. I mean, Dwight out there feeling himself too. Like, he's not going to make the all-star team, you guys. <clears throat> but I do think he deserves at least a mention in, in, in some of these selections. There's no center position anymore. He's just had a – he's had a – now it's turned into a fun start of the season. Uh, let's talk about implications really quickly, and then I want to get to some audio from Steve Clifford pregame that I found very interesting. So the Hornets now sit at 18-25. and 25. They are four games back of eighth place, uh, the eighth place Detroit Pistons. What did this win mean for this Hornets team moving forward, David? Uh, another step in the right direction. I mean, Clifford said it last night. You may have some of that audio, Doug, but they've got to start looking at the standings now. It's a lot earlier than they're usually used to to doing that. But four games back is, you know, with, with this amount of games to play, there's nothing to sneeze at. And that's why, you know, the talk of tanking has got to be put to bed, for at least for the moment. They've got this homestand coming up. Um, if they can win those games, some of these teams are going to start to kind of come back to them as well. So that's something else to keep an eye on. 
Um, yeah, four games back. I mean, that's 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 where they're used to being, right? That's what the, this is always what we're looking at. Honestly, I'm with David. I'm like, tank tanking talk is dead. We've got to start looking at eight seed, seven seed, and it's a doable position at this point. We're we're four games back, and I think th- this team can go three and one, four and one on this on this homestand, and then you're probably in a really good position. To be to where you can maybe add a smaller piece going forward. All right. So Steve Clifford met with the media pregame and uh, took a lot of questions. Obviously, his first game back, so people were interested in his thoughts on a variety of subjects. Uh, this audio that I have is in response to a question about criticisms that he has received as a coach and that the players receive. And certainly this season has seen a lot of criticisms of this team because uh, there were high expectations. People thought they could be a fifth seed, possibly a fourth seed, and and things have not turned out that way for a variety of reasons. Uh, here's Clifford uh, responding to the haters. Everybody here, you probably enjoy your job. I hope you do. Okay, And yet, you probably like 90% of it and there's 10% of it that you don't like, Mm -hmm. okay? To me, that's just the way the world works. So my job, come on now, look at my job. We've chartered planes, you're coaching great players, uh, you're in these arenas, I've got a great office, you know, all these things. And (laughs) so with talk radio, media, things like that, people are going to second guess you. If that's the worst thing that happens to you every day, come on. You know, it's basketball. And I just think it's a it's a it's something that you have to you have to decide on. I mean, you know, so you can either be petty about it and say, how is I want to say, you know, Pete from Raleigh questioning my coaching ability. Or you can say that's part of being a coach in the NBA. I I know this without the fans, without the media, without the scrutiny, we don't have these jobs. So, I mean, you got to take the good with the bad. So, first of all, Pete from Raleigh needs to chill out. (laughs) that's typical pete classic pete freaking pete man all over it uh Mm. but interesting interesting comments there from clifford who uh is uh definitely someone that is uh, respected by the media respected by his players respected by those around the nba and i think you got a glimpse into why because uh that's that's a very tough question to field you know, basically, how do you feel about people criticizing your job? And he, he approaches it from a very uh, mature place and a very veteran place. Cliff has got Cliff has gotten zen, like since he's <sighs> left. Like he's talking about doing yoga and watching watching less film and this and like Cliff has gotten zen about this, and he's right. And compare this response to what the tomb said, and with a Rick Rick Pinnell article. And it, it goes almost in lockstep with it. We're like, look, this is part of the job. If they're going to talk about LeBron and Steph Curry and second guess all of them, we're fair game too. And I, I think it's the right approach to have with this team, even though sometimes the criticism does get too far with certain players. We don't need to go into that. But I do believe that, again, Cliff's got the right approach to this because, and, and he's taking a real Zen approach. I almost expect like Phil Jackson to come out somewhere and and get into it and expound on that point almost at some point. Well, listen, these these people, these this coaching staff and these players, they obsess about basketball. It is their job. You know, they spend 24 hours a day, essentially. They dream about basketball, uh, but they, they obsess about this game. And, and some players then 
take the extra time to also obsess about what fans think. I mean, you have Kevin Durant, burner accounts. You have other players that that love <laughs> to respond to criticism. And right. And what does that do to you? You know, what is how does that wear on you mentally? I, I think I think it does. I think it has an effect. And and I think it's uh, interesting to see how some others approach it, including you mentioned Nick Batum there, but Frank Kaminsky apparently responding to all the negativity on Twitter by by quitting it, by by just taking himself away from it. Uh, you compare that to Dwight Howard, who has responded by exclusively tweeting about his love of Bojangles. That's also <laughs> very. <laughs> oh God. That's very. Oh, God. You know, that's a very fair response, a very knowledgeable response by by Dwight Here's Howard. Charlotte. It's very sharp. Knowledgeable how? Oh, Na- God. Knowledgeable how, Doug? How? How, Beca- Doug? Because knowledgeable be- how? Because Bojangles is very delicious and uh, and nutritious. To I'm You know what's you know what's funny? All this money. You know it's funny if Dwight Howard had tweeted that in like any other market, if if he were still in L.A. and had tweeted about you know just say there was some restaurant there and he was pictured with with a dessert from that restaurant, there would have been all of these articles about is Dwight getting out of shape? Is he eating too much sweets? What is Dwight doing? But in Charlotte, it's like oh Dwight loves Bojangles, yes. You know what else I loved about except for me, except for Donna. Donna is the only one that can enjoy it. I love I love so, the. I love that Clifford was able to take a step back and be like, this job is awesome. I mean, my office is great. My phone is kick-ass. Yeah, like, have you seen my car? This is great. It's it's a stick shift. I know how to drive stick shift. You probably don't, uh, but that's great. Very zen, man. Uh, maybe, that helps. maybe that helps this team. Yeah, I yeah. love the humble brag. He just gets all those in there and then is like, have you, you know. see my office? It's amazing. But he has a point, and and I think that's the point that a lot of us make when some of these coaches do get and players do get upset about fan criticisms. It's like, wait a minute, like your your life is pretty great. Like you, this is like the part of the job that you sort of have to. It, it comes with you know the the saying like it comes with the territory. It's part of the job. You can deal with it and you can move on, and and that that's how it works at times. And and you, you know, know what? It's, it's uh, like, and I, Sorry, not I have to get this thought out of my head before I forget it because I'm notorious for forgetting it. But um, Clifford has, I think, last season almost invited the criticism because I think he's savvy enough to understand that when a, when a town is serious about basketball, then the criticisms are going to come, and those criticisms can help fuel a team. They can keep players accountable like the criticisms of Nick Batum while some of them are certainly unfair some of them are actually more than fair and can help keep a player accountable they they know you know they they cannot get complacent when when there is when there are opinions out there about their performance because these are these are professionals yes but they don't live in a bubble they don't live in a vacuum they they are aware of their own performance and they're aware of how their performance is per- perceived and they're prideful. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I agree with that. And I, again, I go into that point where he's again. There were some legitimate criticisms this year of Dwight, and there are some legitimate criticisms of Nick Batum. And I do think that they do take those with a grain of salt. But I do think, like you said, Cliff enjoys being that lightning rod because that way it's like, okay, cool. Y'all throw it on me, and I'll be I'll shield you guys from all that, and then you guys can do whatever do whatever. And I think that's what, again, and I think that's part of what makes Cliff Cliff, and that's why he's loved around the league, 
is that he'll take that criticism. He'll be affable even in spite of that criticism. And then not only will he discuss it with you at times, but also he'll make you look dumb if it's a really asinine criticism. So, I mean, again, it, it, we've we've gotten into the tower of cliff almost. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of cool to see. Well, and, and I think part of the reason why it can be easy to criticize Clifford is because the the philosophies and the ideas of basketball that he espouses are not necessarily uh, what what's the word? I don't want to say easy to understand because that sounds pretentious, but they're not they're not just they're just not translatable. Like he belie- he really talks a lot about how uh, you know getting to a way to play and purpose of play and he doesn't he doesn't often talk about well look at this game or look at that game he really believes in like getting to a a a state of mind and a way to play and that over the course of 82 games that's either if you commit to it it's going to work out and if you don't it's not going to work out and yeah, that's a, again that's so long term that no, you know kidding. people are focused on what happened in this game or what happened in that game. And so it's, it's hard to sort of get on that level. And, uh, you know, that, that's probably, um, you know, again, it's, it's tough to communicate that, but at the same time, uh, that's part of the job as well. Everything criticism is good and fine and should be, you know, some, well, some criticism is then then there's other things. Like I had a guy on Twitter last night, say, uh, tweet us and say that he thought, Malik Monk and Dwayne Bacon were better than Nick Batum and Michael Kidd Gilchrist and that they should play more like that. Look, there's some, there's some criticism that you go, no, that's, that doesn't deserve to be in the discourse. Well, it's that. And then it's, you know, when you have a season like this and you are placing the blame solely on one player or the coach himself, or, you know, like trade Nick Batum or trade this player, you know, two months into the season, it's like if you watch this team at all from the start of the season, you knew nothing was going right. And it wasn't one guy or one thing or one play or one night, right? So, like, a team has got to play through some of this stuff to figure out exactly who they are before they make a decision like trading someone. So I think, you know, criticism is good. And certainly Nick is going to garner that more with the with, with the paycheck that he's getting. Um, and that comes with the territory too, right? Uh, but I think you have to be – measured and certainly where you aim you know some of that direct criticism all the time all right the hornets next four games are at home this is a critical stretch for the hornets and you want to make sure you're tuned into this podcast for every single one of those follow us on twitter at locked on hornets follow us on instagram at locked on hornets and we are going to have full coverage of all of these games next up miami on saturday night Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're there, give us a five-star review. It helps hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow for a fun Friday. For David and Nada, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.